Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you on this uh, Memorial Long Weekend Sunday. Uh, We're going to dive back into the Psalms this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 62. If you remember, last week we were in Psalm 92, so we're not going through the Psalms sequentially. We're going to jump around a little bit, and we're jumping back to this Psalm, and it's a Psalm of, of confidence. Um, uh, the psalmist David comes to God with, with questions, with concerns, sort of in the middle of, of suffering and in the middle of, of pain. He comes to God with, uh, with prayer, with, with questions. And this psalm begins with David's private prayer, so to speak, his own interaction with God. And it'll expand later to include all of us. He invites us in to the reality that he has experienced in the gospel. And so would you stand this morning for the reading of God's Word as we see this picture of taking our struggles, our problems to God in prayer and waiting for His his response. Psalm 62, to the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken." How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his works. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you show us the truth of this passage this morning? Lord, we come with expectation to hear from you. Lord, to have our hearts shaped, our affections stirred towards the things that are true this morning. Lord, would you free our minds from distractions, focus our hearts on the truth of this word, that we might live as people who, as Philippians says, are shining lights in the universe, those that proclaim the hope, the salvation that this psalm points us to. Would you do this by the power of your spirit? Lord, would you bless the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts together this morning? Yes, this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Waiting is something that we all are confronted with at various times. We don't like necessarily to, to wait for things. And, and one situation, this is a, a simple situation, where you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to, to wait. You all have seen gas prices going up. And if you shop at Costco, you know that Costco has cheap gas. But you also know if you've been to Costco recently, you pull in, and how long is the gas line? It's really long. And so you have to do this, you have to do this calculus for a moment. Is it worthwhile to sp- spend maybe the next 10 to 15 minutes in line to save four to five dollars on a gallon or on a tank of, of gas. 
Now, I don't know how you, you do that calculus personally, but that, that's a, an instance where we have a situation and we've got to wait. And, and we do one of two things. We, we sometimes we, we wait and we just sort of stick it out, or we decide it's, it's not worth it. We just sort of give up in, in despair and say, I'm just, I'm just going just gonna to go. I'm going to move on, find an alternative solution. Now, whether or not you do that with gas, we do that with other situations that we wait on. When we are confronted with, with sort of stressors in our life, problems in our life, and, and they're not going away, and we're waiting for, for something to change, we do those things. We either sort of wait it out faithfully, or we, we move to sort of an alternative. We say, well, that didn't work. Waiting didn't wait, work, so I've got to fix this problem. I've got to go and, and solve this, this problem. And, and then sometimes when that doesn't work out, we give in to despair. And we say, this is just never going never gonna to change. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's waiting for, waiting for healing, waiting to be healthy again, waiting for a child, a child to be born, to be a parent, waiting for a child who has sort of walked away from you relationally or from the faith to, to come home, waiting for something, waiting for God. What do we do when we, when we wait, when we're confronted with moments that, that don't seem to have easy or quick, quick answers? Well, that's where this psalm takes us this morning. It takes us to a time in David's life where he's experiencing that. The psalm begins sort of in the middle of this situation in David's life. It doesn't sort of begin at the beginning, but in the middle of his struggle with, with this problem. We don't know what the problem is, but he is waiting for something, waiting for something to change. And so as we take up this question of what does it look like to wait faithfully, to seek after God for the things that we, we desire, the things that we need, David takes us in and he begins by asking us to, to wait in, in silence. Look at verse 1 of this text with me. It says, For God alone my soul waits in, in silence. So again, beginning in the middle, it seems David has already prayed to God. It's not his first sort of encounter with God in this instance. He's prayed. It's beginning sort of in the middle, and, and he's now waiting for God alone. And it says there, my soul waits in silence. Now, depending on your translation, there might be a slightly different way of, of rendering it. It might say something like, my soul rests, or, my, or I'm waiting patiently. And that's, that's the sense that we get here. But, but literally, there's an idea of, of silence here. His soul is silent towards God. He's sitting there waiting. He's not speaking anymore. He sort of prayed, prayed everything out. And now he waits in silence. It's a similar image to what we see in Psalm 131, where there's this image of a child, a weaned child with his mother. Not asking anymore, just sort of waiting independence with the one that he knows will answer his, his need. And so David waits in, in silence. And for God alone, my soul waits in silence. David knows that nothing else is going to solve this situation. Nothing else is ultimately going to address the problem that he's confronted with. For God alone, he waits in silence. Nothing else will affect the change, the lasting change that he, he looks for. Now, one question you might have right from the beginning of this psalm, we're going to see it again and again, this posture of waiting, of dependence on God. Does this sort of abdicate us from all responsibility? No, it's not, it's not saying that, and it's also not saying that God sort of helps those who, who help themselves. It's not a, a verse that's one of those things we think is in the Bible, but it's, it's not in the Bible. God doesn't help those who help themselves. There's a position here, not of one who just sort of says, I'm not going to even try, I'm just going to pray. It's someone who has faithfully done the things that God has called them to do and is now waiting for God. 
waiting for God to, to answer, waiting for God to, to speak, to, to intervene in this situation. And there's good reason why he waits for God alone. Verse 2 gives it to us. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my, my fortress. Sort of piles up these, these words of strength, of resilience. David knew what it was like to, to flee in places of refuge. Literally, these sort of images are high places, places that are easy to defend, places of security. And he equates those places of physical safety with the spiritual safety that God gives him, that he is my rock, my salvation, my, my fortress. He goes to God's very character to find his confidence in the moment where he waits in silence, in dependence on, on God. And these, these images of rock, salvation, fortress are ones of, of permanence. God is a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being, in his power. And, and that sort of is the language that, that David picks up here of God's eternality, his permanence. He's not going anywhere. And so David can wait in silence, in hopeful anticipation of what God will do because he knows God's character. He knows that God is, is secure. And we see this, this call to silence of sort of waiting for God to act is something that we see throughout Scripture. Think back to Exodus 14 when God's people are pressed in. They're sort of hemmed in. There's the, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's hordes coming down, and they're despairing. They're afraid. They don't know what's going to happen. And in that part of Exodus 14, they're told to be still or literally to, to be silent and to wait to stand firm and see deliverance that God will win that day. Now, again, not sort of throwing up our hands and saying we have no responsibility to ever do anything, but it's talking about our very posture of living, of saying it is independence on God. It's dependence on God that he is the one who will deliver. Matthew 6, 7 reminds us that we're not heard because of our many words in prayer. We simply come to God and we ask, and then we assume this, this posture that David has here of, of waiting, waiting quietly with, with souls that are content because they know who God, God is. Now, some of us might be very uncomfortable with silence, though. Think back to the, the winter storms. I don't want to remind you of that, but if you think back to that, one of the eeriest parts of it, I don't know if you remember this, but it was w middle of the night, like two in the morning, and it, your house is pitch black. Right? There's no light anywhere, and it's also silent because all the normal things that hum, the, the fans, everything else is just gone, and it's, it's silent. And maybe some of you enjoyed that, maybe for like five seconds, and then it gets a little, little eerie. The silence is a little bit, little bit eerie, and there, there's a note of that in verse 2 here where it says, I shall not be greatly shaken. Later on, David is going to remove that, that greatly, but there's almost a, a moment in this first part of the psalm where David hedges his bets just a little bit and says, I know God's character, I know he's strong, I know he's going to carry me through, but, but I'll probably be shaken a little bit, but I won't be greatly shaken. And maybe that's how some of us sort of deal with this, this psalm, that, that idea of greatly shaken is almost upended. I won't have everything fall apart, but things could still get very, very problematic. And I think that's, that's often how you and I maybe wait. We get uncomfortable with the, the silence. Waiting in silence is not necessarily an easy thing to do. We begin to have doubts. We say, is it really worth it to wait? We start looking for alternatives. All right, God hasn't sort of intervened right now, so I'm going to fill in all the gaps. I'm going to 
accomplish these 12 steps, and then these things are going to, to happen. All this plan that I have laid out, I'm going to do these things. We kind of go into a, a hyperdrive of productivity. I'm going to solve this problem. And well, sometimes that's, that's good and how God works through us to solve things. Oftentimes it's a posture that isn't really connecting with the reality of what this psalm offers us. See, what's, what's up underneath that drive to say, well, if God hasn't done this, I'm going to solve it, is really a lack of trust. A lack of confidence in God, it's, it's you could almost say, a, a character assassination of God. I'm saying, I don't really believe God is who he says in the Word. And then sometimes that frenetic activity, that ambition to sort of go and accomplish, solve the problem, when that doesn't work, and we're still waiting on God, we, we move to despair. Say, is this, is this really worth it? Is this really ever going to change whatever the, the this might be? This passage asks us in those moments of difficulty to come back to who God is and engage in what we could call a, a sanctified inactivity. Maybe this is a little bit of an old school way of saying this, but if you've ever talked to some, some people that maybe have been Christians for a long time, remember in South Carolina, I, I would encounter some of these people when we were uh, in ministry out there, and they would say, I'm waiting on the Lord for that. And it, it might sound like a little kind of trite, trite phrase, but it's, it's biblical to wait on God for things, things that we've prayed for, things that later on this psalm will say, we've poured out our hearts to God for, and now we're waiting. It doesn't mean we never pray again about it. But it means our posture is one of, of waiting for God, waiting for God. And this passage invites us to be okay with the, the silence, to wait in those moments of silence. Some researchers at the University of New England did a study, and they found that Americans are increasingly afraid of silence, like actual physical silence. And, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life. There's always background noise. You're driving. What do you do? turn music on, you turn the radio on, you're at home, the TV goes on. You, you, there's never a moment of, of silence. Maybe you even fall asleep watching stuff, and it's just this constant noise in our life. Maybe the psalm, in part, invites us to, to say that silence is, is okay, to actually sit with God's Word, His truth, His character, meditate on it, be, be built up in the faith, even in moments of, of quiet, moments of of silence. This passage asks us to aspire to this, this kind of faith. And a lot of us are good at faith like this on the other side of a problem, right? On the other side of a problem, when God is finally answered, we say, look, it, God was so faithful. He got me through, and that's, that's good. We should do that. But this psalm is also asking us in the, the moment when, when that answer hasn't come, when that solution hasn't appeared, to actually wait faithfully in stillness, in quietness, in dependence on the one who is our rock and our salvation. So we wait in silence, sitting with those words even, wait, my soul, silence. Those are, those are large words that should step into our, our faith and, and bolster it and show us what it, what it could be because we have a God who is enough, that undergirds all of that. But what about those moments of, of prolonged silence? Maybe this next two verses where it says, how long is your experience? Really waiting and saying, how long will this, this carry on? Maybe you've read this, this book. It's, it's, a, it's a novel, but it's based on historical events, and the novel is called Silence. It's called uh, by a Japanese author, Endo Shizaku. And he writes this, this book about a time in the 1600s in Japan where Christianity is outlawed. 
And there's this intense persecution that comes on God's people there. Intense persecution, death, starvation, all of sort of those, those things are pressing in on them. And in this, this account of this event, he writes this, 20 years of persecution. The soil of Japan is filled with the lament of Christians. And in the face of this terrible, merciless sacrifice, God has remained silent. And if you've read the book, you know that there is some, some hope, there's, but there's this struggle about these moments when, when God is, is silent, seemingly silent in our, in our lives. And some of you might not need sort of a his geographically removed, somewhat fictional depiction of, of God's silence because you've lived through some of it. Maybe there have been moments and times in your life where you really have struggled and said, how, how long, oh God, how long will this, this carry on? And that's where this, this psalm goes now. It asks us in those moments of, of waiting, even when it seems like how long, that lament-type language to tell the truth. What's interesting about this psalm is as we go through, you'll notice that very frequently, six times in fact, it says something to the effect of alone or, or only. It's, it's an emphasizing that this is what is really true. What is underneath all of what is happening in the world is the reality of who God is and what He is doing. It is God alone. It is truly God. God alone, again, as we go through this. He only is my rock. It's a centralizing our attention on what is, what is true. And it asks us in verse 3 to speak to our enemies in a certain way. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering friend, fence. He's, the psalmist here is addressing those who are pressing in on him, those who are attacking him, and is saying, how long will you do this? And it's that same sort of lament-type language that we see in Psalm 13, where it says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me for, forever? And here, what is told to the enemies is really what is that all they amount to is this picture of deception, that even though they seem to be blessing with their mouths, they are those who are, are cursing. They are malicious. They are ultimately unsuccessful, though. Even in those moments where they push over, as it were, the leaning wall or the tottering fence. This passage invites us to tell the truth in terms of the fact that this reality is not what is ultimate. This reality here of, of this tottering fence is not what wins the day in the end. And maybe, maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like a tottering fence. Maybe you've never described yourself that way, but this psalm sort of puts us potentially there, where it just feels like one more thing is going to sort of push us over the edge. The bottom will fall out, and we don't really know how we would, we would carry on. And it assigns sort of the, the blame, as it were, on those who attack us, to, to batter us. And all of our enemies, whatever that's an actual personal thing or situations in our life or our spiritual realities, all of that is what is pressing in on us. And it asks us in this passage to, to honestly assess our, our, attack, our attackers, to be honest about the situations in our life and say, this is really what is going on. This is difficult. I need to tell, tell the truth as it were. But even as we tell the truth about the situation that we are in, this psalm also offers us this, to tell the truth to our souls. To tell the truth to, to our souls. Verse 5 might seem very similar to verse 1, but it changes things. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. Now what was described in verse 1, just a description of the soul, is actually now commanded of David's soul. 
He sort of escalates it. He takes his own advice, as it were, and now says, wait, oh my soul, in, in silence, for my hope is from him. Not merely salvation abstractly, but the hope that he knows he will be joined to that salvation. He tells his soul that very reality. Why? Again, because of God's character. Verse 6, for he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. The, the, the greatly part of that is, is no longer there. I shall not be shaken. There's a redoubling of his confidence in who God is. Verse 7, my God, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is, is God. This is sort of a, a climax, if you will, in this psalm, a moment where David sees clearly who God is. Still doesn't have all the answers, but he's come again to God's character because he knows that God will be enough. And so he waits. Growing up, my siblings played a game whenever my grandparents were coming. My grandparents lived pretty far away, and so they'd come probably once a year, and they'd drive across country, and this was before the days of, of cell phones and all of that, and so they'd tell us sort of a, a morning they were coming. Maybe they'd call from the hotel before they completed the last leg of their, their journey. And so that morning, my siblings and I would sit in sort of our, our front window, and we'd play My Car, Your Car. I don't know if you've ever played My Car, Your Car. It's a very, uh, very simple game. Somebody starts, and the first car that drives past the house, that's your car. The next car that drives past the house is the next sibling's car, and the next car is the, the next sibling's car. And then you just repeat. And the winner is the one who, their car is the grandparent's car that drives into the, the driveway. It's a simple game, very, very boring game, actually. Um, <laughs> but we'd play this, and we played it, I, I bring this up for this reason, because we didn't know, we didn't have GPS tracking on their car, they weren't going to text us when they were five minutes out, none of those things. We just had this date circle on the calendar when Oma and Opa, my grandparents, were going to come and visit, and, and we waited. And, and even as car after car after car went by that wasn't my, my grandpa's truck, we had confidence that he was going to show up. Because every year when he said he was going to show up, he showed up. That's, that's similar to the posture that we're called to in this, this psalm where, where he, God, that is, shows up. He never leaves us. John Calvin put it this way, that God will never frustrate the patient waiting of his saints. He will never frustrate the patient waiting of his saints. Now, again, that's not saying that this is just some formula that you wait and you get what you want. Waiting on God doesn't guarantee the result you want, but it guarantees that God will meet you with his character, with his goodness, with his gospel truth. That will never not pan out for us. That will always be enough for us. And so we need to tell the truth here to our very souls. Now, this might not be something you're familiar with, talking to yourself. Uh, it's actually biblical to talk to yourself. We talk to ourselves in a certain way. We, we take the truth of who God is and speak it to our, our souls. I'm going to read a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book on spiritual depression, and he talks in this book about how the Psalms invite us to talk to our souls. He says this, the main art in this matter of spiritual living is, not to is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. 
And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. It's the movement described in this psalm in those moments of, of struggle, speaking God's truth to our, to our souls. Now, I do want to note that even as uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about depression there, that's not the only sort of response to depression to just sort of preach the gospel to yourself. There are physical, chemical reaction, reactions that are part of, of depression. But, but for many of us in these moments of, of struggle, it's, it's this movement of taking God's truth and applying it to our souls that is so important. So important to work that into our lives that we would speak to ourselves. That the defining narrative in our life is not sort of our worries and our anxieties, but the truth of God's word applied to our hearts. That we would do what David does and wait in silence. The last verses of the psalm open up to include not just David's struggle, but all of ours. Verse 8 asks us to trust together. All of us together, kind of an altogether now reality. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. That's all the gathered people for worship. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. What a, what a picture of what we're offered to pour out our hearts to God. Maybe you've experienced this, thinking of just sort of the, the last week in Uvalde and all of that, of pouring out your heart to God. Thank God I don't understand what's, what's happening. I don't understand all the things that are wrong in this world. I know from your word that this is not the way it's supposed to be, that sin has come in and sort of vandalized the world. The fall has upended things in a way that is, is deeply wrong, and we come together to pour out our hearts to God because he is a refuge for us. We're offered that in the psalm. The, the language here of pouring out, Lamentations 2 verse 19 says something similar. Arise, cry out in the night. As the night begins, pour out your heart like water. It's pouring it all out. It's, it's not holding anything back. It's being honest about the reality that you find yourself in and going to God and pouring that, that out. And as we do that, this psalm asks us to avoid some alternative narratives, if you will, some alternative ways of finding hope. This is the situation. You've poured out your heart to God. Now you're waiting. Verse 9 offers some correction to us. Those in low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. The psalmist here, David, takes sort of the low end of, of humanity, the high end, those with power, those without power, and says none of that is going to ultimately solve your problems. This is the false narrative that if we just had a little bit more power, then maybe we could change everything. It says those in high and low estate are a breath, a delusion. They're put on the balances and they, they go up. They're, they're lighter than air. They're, there's really nothing of substance there. That's not going to ultimately save the day. That's not going to answer the problems in our lives, the sin that we need to have forgiven and redeemed. That is not the answer. Lighter than breath, a vapor, sort of floats away. Now, maybe you don't think that power or a position is going to sort of cause your problems to, to go away. But this next one, I think many of us do. Verse 10, it says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Now, what is this talking about? Well, it's talking about in those moments where we poured out our hearts, sought refuge in God, then we go and we look to, to wealth and say, my, my money, my financial ability is actually what's going to save me. Now, you might not be putting your trust in extortion. There are three ways of getting money in this, this verse 10. The first is extortion, of sort of taking things unjustly. Maybe that's not your, your struggle. 
but it warns us to, to be mindful of how we earn our, our living, that we don't give into sort of dishonest means. The second way of getting money is to set no vain hopes on robbery. Now, we don't know if this is sort of out of convenience or out of desperation that someone would go and, and, and rob or take things that are not theirs for their own support, but it says that's not where your hope lies. Now, those first two, maybe you've just sort of dismissed and said, that's, that's not me. But the last part here, the last way of accumulating wealth is this. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. It moves out generally to say all of the increase of your wealth, don't put your, your hope there. Don't think that that's somehow what will, what will save you. It's similar to what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to see their hopes, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. These are the alternative narratives that we might look to. Power, wealth, to say, my, my waiting isn't panning out. I'm going to look to my power. I'm going to look to my wealth. But here again, where are we to look? We look to the God who speaks. Verse 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to the Lord, that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This is, this is the hope we have. This is the answer that we have in our moments of waiting for change, waiting for situations to, to be redeemed. It is God, his power, and his steadfast love. That's the hope that we have. That's what we need to come to, again, as God's people together on a Sunday morning, during the week, as we gather, saying these things to ourselves. God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, it says twice, I have heard this, that might equate to the, the two times where David has been silent, that in those moments of silence, God has actually spoken, that God has intervened, God has done something, his steadfast love has, has changed the reality. And we, we need to know this. We need to know that, that underneath everything that happens in the world, there is a God who is there, and as Francis Schaeffer put it, is not silent. We have an infinite triune God who stands underneath all of this, not merely in our problems, but in our very being. This is what undergirds all of it, that God has, has spoken. God has spoken. Now, what, what does it mean that, that God has spoken? We'll look at that in just, just a moment. But this last phrase here in chapter 12, or verse 12, says this, For you will render to man according to his work. Now, what is that, what is that saying? It could simply mean that, that sort of we get what we sow, and that's a biblical reality that there are consequences for our actions. But Paul, when he uses this verse in Romans 2 verse 6, moves it into a gospel category. In that context, when Paul quotes this verse, he reminds the Jewish people that they are not saved by their sort of their, their religiosity, by their Jewishness. They're saved only by the gospel. It is according to their work, the, the trust in God that God renders to us. This verse, is, verse points us to God's character. It points us to the gospel. It points us to the God who is not silent. And, and how does God speak today? How does God speak today? Well, Scripture answers that question for us. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. God speaks by His by his son. Definitively, concretely, 
powerfully God has spoken by his son. In our moments of silence, we have a God who is not silent because he has spoken to us because of Jesus. In those moments when things don't seem to add up, when we can't quite make sense of the world that we're in, our personal world, the the larger world, Jesus has spoken. It's not sort of a a quick band-aid fix, but it's the reality that underneath all of this is a God who is not silent, that has done something about what is wrong in the world, has given us his son. I read this week about a, a researcher, his name is Gordon Hempton, and his goal was to find a place on earth that is silent. And he struggled to do it. Specifically, he was looking for a place where there was no human sound. For 15 minutes, somewhere in the U.S. where there was no human sound. And he found a few, but it, it took, him, took him quite a while. The point of his research was silence is, is hard to find. Silence is hard to find. And, and that's actually a biblical reality. Silence is hard to find, even as David is silent here, because God speaks. God speaks in moments of silence. Not audibly, but through his word, through his spirit, he speaks to us. He gives us his truth. He says, once I have spoken, twice you are to hear this. That to me belongs power. That I am a God of of steadfast love. And so we together, as we read a psalm like this, can say, I'll wait and I'll trust his, his steadfast love. That's the refrain of this, that we would wait on God's steadfast love, that in a sense we would retune our silence, those moments in our life that, that seemingly are silent, and to see that in and through God's word, through the gospel, God is not silent, but he has spoken through Jesus. He gives us the hope of a new life, of the resurrection where all things are put to right. Substantial healing now, final healing in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you remind us of this hope this week? Lord, even as we, with this psalmist, say how long? Lord, we don't have answers for those. We do wait in silence, Lord, but we know that you have done something. Would that hope be tangible? Would we seek to live that hope out and and work out its implications in how we live, how we interact with others, how we make decisions? That we have a God who is a God of hope, our rock and our salvation. We ask this in your name. Amen.